0: She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today?
1: Well, our show is about the Anatomy of Peace. It's a great book, and it's written by the Arbinger Institute. And let me tell you about the General Consul and Vice President of the Arbinger Institute. First of all, John Mammoth is a retired district court judge and adjunct professor teaching employment law. He joined Arbinger in 2010 as general counsel and is a member and manager of the Institute in Arbinger Conflict Resolution Services, LLC, which offers services to legal, judicial, mediation, law enforcement, military, and correctional professionals and organizations. And let me tell you a little bit about the Institute as well. The Arbinger Institute is a worldwide institute that helps corporate and non-corporate organizations, families, individuals, and communities to solve the problems that have been created by the pervasive but little-known problems of self-deception That's the problem of not knowing and resisting the possibility that one even has a problem. And their first book, Leadership and Self-Deception, quickly became an international bestseller. And I have their newest book right here in front of me. It's fabulous. It's called The Anatomy of Peace, Resolving the Heart of Conflict. And we're so lucky to have John Memma with us right here today. Thank you so much, Judge, for joining us.
0: Well, thank you, Maureen. I'm I'm excited to uh, join you and and uh, have the opportunity to talk a little bit about the Arbinger Institute and some of the things that, that it has done. Thank you very much.
1: Well, first, why don't you do that? Why don't you tell us a little bit more about the Arbinger Institute and all the great work that it's doing? Because I found you on the web and I thought, I've got to have you guys on here.
0: Well, it, the Arbinger, I have only been with him for uh, since I retired as a judge, although I became a, their, aware of their work before and, and worked with them in several projects. And when I retired as a district judge, um, they invited me to join them, and, and so I have. As you indicated, they've done work a, around the world. Um, some of the things that they're involved in, they they do a lot of work with workplace and conflict in the workplace, and so the corporate work that they have done, and that's primarily around... Um, the first book they wrote, Leadership and Self-Deception, is, is really a corporate application of the principles of Arbinger. The Anatomy of Peace is applying it more to families and individuals um, in doing that. And so, and so they work in those two areas primarily.
1: Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that first book, the Leadership and Self-Deception?
0: Well, the work of Arbinger really came out more of academic work that came out and, and really was involved in studies about why people have conflict and, and why um, many times when people are in conflict, they choose to blame those people around them for the conflict, when many times a lot of that is a result of their own perceptions and things people do themselves. And so what Arbinger, the research, um, what they did is, is really discover a language and a way to explain to people how you're part of the conflict. Whenever a conflict goes on, you're part of it. And and how to recognize that. uh, And as a result, you can control what you do better than what you can control what other people do. And by controlling and understanding your part in in conflict, you can better uh, control it. You can better deal with it. So leadership and self-deception deals with that in a workplace setting. How how do you deal with conflict in the workplace and how, as a leader or how, as a team member, you may contribute to that conflict and what you can do to resolve it?
1: Right. You know, all conflict, they say all conflict starts from within. And if we could deal with that, our own conflict, our own. I know there are times even with myself, you know, when you're trying to make a decision, you even have conflict within yourself, of, gee, you know, should I go to this college or should I go to that college? Should I go to this graduate school or that graduate school? Shall I marry this person or shall I marry that person, right? And I I remember those old cartoons where there would be the little devil on one side and little angel on the other shoulder saying, do it, do it. No, don't do it. Don't do it. So, I mean, we do have conflict within ourselves and we have our own inner stuff that, that maybe we're not even aware of. I noticed on the back of this book, it says, what if conflict at home, conflicts at work and conflicts in the world stem from the same root cause? What if we systematically misunderstand that cause? And what if, as a result, we systematically perpetuate the very problems we think we are trying to solve every day? So that's kind of the, the heart, the resolving the heart of conflict, right?
0: It is. And, and maybe I could help by just giving a a, a very simple example, explaining how that works and explaining Arbinger's approach to dealing with that. Uh, The premise of Arbinger is that that most of the ways that that we're taught to deal with conflict in the world today are behaviorally based, and they teach you, well, if you can modify certain of your behaviors, you're going to be able to handle conflict a little bit better. But what the research showed is that there was something a little deeper than behavior behavior that really affected how we uh, dealt with conflict and, and in Arbinger language they call it the way of being and, and let me just give you an example of how, how that works. In way of being they, they really say that there's two ways of being. One you see a person as a person and you treat them as a person, react to them as a person and the other through our lives a lot of times we see people as objects and so we treat them like, like objects and, they, and it has really different consequences. Um, the simplest example that I can give is, say you're you're driving down uh, a road and somebody cuts you off. Well, a lot of people, their immediate reaction is to get really angry with that person and be upset and and wave at them or whatever they do when somebody does something like that. But then all of a sudden they see the person driving in that car is not a stranger, but it's somebody they know or somebody they know closely. Right. And immediately. How they react to that situation, what they do, what they say, completely changes in the instant that they see them as a person instead uh-huh. of the car that cut them off exactly and so and so that fundamental difference of seeing people as people versus seeing people as objects carries over um, all in in many facets of of our lives, and so Arbinger explores that, helps people to understand how it how it does that and and what it does is it explains to people that any behavior can be done one of two ways. You can do it seeing a person as a person or seeing a person as an object. For example, every one of us have been complimented and really know it's a genuinely heartfelt compliment. You know, and so the behavior of complimenting we feel it and we feel good. But we've also been complimented and know that the person didn't mean it at all. Right. And so, and so you can engage in the same behaviors, but you can do it, your way of being is going to determine how how that compliment's received or, or what any behavior's received.
1: You know, I, it just comes to my mind, we were recently in Washington, D.C., and we went to the National Holocaust Museum. And what was interesting to me is that people who used to play together and used to be good friends before Hitler came to power and objectified those people, the, the Jewish people or the, or the people who were gypsies or whatever they were that was not the, quote, Aryan race. Um, I mean, friends, close friends were suddenly objectified and then they were looked at as objects and they, were, they could kill them and maim them and destroy them and put them in concentration camps and gas them because they no longer saw them as people. But, you know, it was kind of going the opposite from Mm -hmm. from being friends and being human and being neighbors and being all this, that they suddenly were able to turn them into hate objects, that they weren't really like people. They they were less than the Aryan race. Do you know what I'm saying?
0: No. And and, and that that really is a a classic example. And, And what Arbinger points out is that we do that not to that extent, but we do something like that every day in our lives, and, and we don't realize it, and that's, and that's what the self-deception is. We don't realize we're creating ser- scenarios ourselves in which we see people as an object, and so, and so we need a different result. And, and maybe I'll tell you a little short story that, that just exemplifies that, too. Great, right. yeah. Say if a, if a husband, a newlywed, you come home and, and, and uh, you have a new baby, and when you come home late from work one night, your wife is, is sound asleep. And as you walk in, you hear the baby crying. Well, the, And your first thought is, you know what, I need to go. That's, that's my son or daughter. I need to go help them. But right. you don't. Hmm. Now, the minute you don't help them, how do you start thinking about your wife that's laying there asleep? Right. You, All of a sudden, she's, 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 she's a
1: she's, bad mother. <laughs> yeah, she's a
0: bad mother. She's lazy. It's her job. And how do you start thinking about yourself? Well, I've worked hard all day, I've done and so and so you start making yourself a lot better and them a lot worse. Mm-hmm. And so you, you paint a picture that's that's different just because of your decisions. Right. And right. so Arbinger explores that about how we do that in the workplace, how we do that in our families, how we do that in our communities, how we do that among cultures. I mean and and helps understand and then a language to to overcome that so that we can recognize that And not do that. And so maybe avoid some of the conflicts or some of the reasons for the conflicts that are self-created.
1: Right. So let's, let's take that as a great example because we, we know this happens with young families and they're exhausted and all the kinds of conflict that arises. And, you know, I've done plenty of divorce mediation and I know how this kind of stuff arises. So what would Arbinger say to do in that case? What should, when the husband comes home, what should he stop himself and think then
0: well in, in in an example like that, I think one of the things we would teach people is is the minute you there there are some what they call red flags, and so we teach people to look for red flags, and so one of the red flags is is when you start horribleizing somebody else, do you make them out all of a sudden to be worse than they are or attribute things to them that that, that they are maybe not doing? Or are you making yourself out? And the other side of that, are you making yourself out to be better? Or are you drawing lines of what's right or wrong? And so we teach people these red flags that come up to say, wait a minute, this may not be the other person's problem. This may be my problem first.
1: Okay, so it's similar to what I tell people my clients to do that when they get upset about something to stop and say, so what am I feeling? Why am I feeling this way to kind of do this self questioning of analyzing what it is that they're really feeling and why they're angry?
0: That's right. Yeah. To go through and, and then and then the next step after that is then is then to 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 see it in, in that perspective of, of the way you initially saw it because the initial uh Response of a person if you hear a baby crying is to go help the baby and and to try to go back and see it in that and then do what you probably should have done in the first place. And if you do that, you avoid conflict and you can move on.
1: Right. And sometimes when you are tired and when you are upset, sometimes it's okay to go to the person that you need and say i need your help i'm really tired i just came home from work i know you're sleeping but i really need your help i'm about to you know fall asleep or something i've been up 24 hours i've been right. an air traffic controller or something yeah. no, and you can you know, do hard I mean,
0: things seeing yeah. people as people when i started in arbinger one of the interesting things is as a district judge probably one of the the hardest thing, I ask people and when I do seminars, what do you think the hardest thing that I did as a district court judge? And they almost always come back, well, you sent people to prison. You sentenced people. Right. Uh-huh. And, and, and so um, when I received my arbiter training, I realized, okay, I can sentence people two ways. I can sentence people seeing them as people, or I can sentence them seeing them as objects. And I'm afraid before the arbiter training, a lot of times, when I wanted to justify in my mind sending them to prison, it was easier to see them as objects. Right. And so I would read part of the, pre, the part of the pre sentence report that told me all the crimes they committed, their history, what the victims report, all the things. But the second part of the pre sentence report that I was supposed to balance about what had happened in their lives that led this, you know, sometimes I'd skim over that and not take as much time. And so I decided okay, can I still do hard things like sentence somebody to prison? But seeing them as a person, of what are the consequences? And so I started. I started doing that, and, and an amazing thing happened. Even though my contact in the sentencing is only 20 minutes before, when I sent somebody to prison and I and I treat them like an object, I would get letters uh, back from the victims' um, families. Families. You know, saying, yes, you did the right thing, but I would get letters back from the the person I sent to prison. How how could you do that? You've destroyed our family. You've destroyed, you've taken away the husband. You've taken away the mother. You've done these terrible things as a judge. But I started seeing them as a person, and I still sent them to prison if it was justified, but I took the time to see as a person and talk to them and explain, you know, why I was doing that and my expectations and, 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 and really looked hard at seeing them as a person. Well, an amazing thing happened to me as a judge. I all of a sudden started getting letters back. And the first letters back that I never got, I started getting letters back from the people that, were, that I was sending to prison thanking me for sending to prison. So, you know, Judge, I, I see this differently. I'm ready to change.
1: Oh, how wonderful. And how did the families feel that, that were the families of the victims?
0: That is the most amazing one. The families of the victims started saying, you know, Judge, when we came into your courtroom, we were really Angry with these people, and we really wanted to get our pound of flesh or or get vengeance or whatever we wanted retribution, you know justice yes and and they said, you know you sent them in prison, but you've helped us in a healing process right. you've helped us start a healing process, so we're not as angry we're not as upset, and you've helped us get over it and Then I would get letters from their families now saying, You know what? I think you've made a difference in our son or daughter's life or husband or whatever's life and and so it was it was amazing the outcome of that, of that very simple process as a judge and, and, and where all this conflict could be carried on to, and then in their own families, how this started a healing process, even doing something that was very, very hard and, and like you I do I do mediations and divorce and that's one of the things I, I talk about and in fact sometimes I suggest and give them a copy of the book when they leave and say maybe you should read this.
1: Yes. How beautiful. How beautiful it is for for you to see these people as as people. And it doesn't mean they shouldn't be accountable for their lives. And I think that's what this is all about instead of necessarily blame and guilt and blame and guilt that gets all like a cyclone, more of taking responsibility for one's actions and making amends or ch- making changes and, you know, reforming your life or just, saying I'm sorry, even those kinds of things can be very helpful in those kinds of situations, whether it's you know criminal behavior or there's just hurts between people right
0: that's right no and 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 it can and it can make it such a big difference in in helping reduce the conflict and yes. and helping move towards a peaceful resolution, even in very like you say very hard difficult situations and I ran a drug court started a drug court here and did the same thing and had the same kind of circumstances in in my drug court with, with addicts, when you started treating like people in rehabilitative courts. And in fact, that's how I started getting involved in Arbinger, is my background is in psychology. And our drug courts and rehabilitative courts work so well, so much better than the punishment model.
1: Right. Right. And,
0: and but I really wanted to understand, okay, why is this happening? I mean, why is this so much better? I mean, not just a little bit, but dramatically better. And that's when I I really saw what they had done was create a a model where people are treated differently and seen more as people. And I said, well, maybe if I can, why I was excited about joining Arbinger in this area is, is if I can help people understand the language and so they can understand why this is happening, then Arbinger becomes a foundational material that helps whatever program you do work better.
1: And does Arbinger teach a way to speak that's differently, like having more eye messages? And what, what is kind of the, uh, the protocol?
0: You know, Arbinger um, doesn't get into the behavioral, all of those types, w- what Arbinger classifies as behavioral ways of doing it. Uh-huh. We don't, we, we think that, that we're not in the business and we're not experts enough to say which behavioral method is better. For some people, some styles are better. For other people, other styles are better. And that's why I know when I went through my mediation training, they, they wanted you to learn all the different styles because you had to find the ones that work with the people you were dealing with.
1: Exactly. You and, have to have a lot of hats to wear that you can pull things out of a hat.
0: <laughs> that's right. And, but what Arbinger teaches is that, okay, you have all this bag of behavioral skills that you can use, but, but if if you use those behavioral skills and see people as objects while you're a mediator doing this, they're going to see right through it, and they're really not going to work very right, well.
1: Right. It but, has to but, be genuine.
0: Yeah, and yeah, and genuine. That's and that's the word that we use. You know, are you are genuine in in doing this? But but you can use any number of them. Some will work better than others. But if you if you're genuine, you see a person to a person. They're going to work better.
1: Yes. And one of the things that I I always find is the most powerful thing that I can do is really listen, you know, ask a question and then just stay and be patient and really listen to what people are having to say. Because then if they're finally heard for the first time, they feel like they're a human. They feel respected. They feel, um, you know, cared about. They feel that you're being uh, authentic if you're really, really, Listening and hearing them. Do you find that as well?
0: Oh no, that is probably one of the most important keys because because now they know you're seeing them as a person. You count the same as they do. Their their hurts or their interests or their concerns now become your concerns because you're willing to take the time and invest yourself in that. No, that that's a that's a major part of the things that that you go through to help people recognize and see other people as people. When I was a drug court judge. Um, that's what, one of the responses I got more than any other, you know, this is the first time a judge has ever listened to me. Yes. You know, and, and all of a sudden, I'm willing to do things that I was never willing to do because I was going to fight the system before. Now mm. I'm not going to fight the system.
1: Right, right. It's like when you listen and you let them know that, you've, that they've been heard by repeating back what they've said or asking them further questions to clarify, then they know they're heard and then they're more willing to listen to you.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: In fact, we have, in, in the book, we have a thing called a, uh, um, a, a peace-building pyramid or a... Yeah, I was just going to... That's funny. And, I have my and that's that page what that open. Addresses, that addresses yeah. that a lot of times in life, particularly as, as parents, and but it spills over to everything, we spend most of our time correcting things when they've gone wrong.
1: Yes.
0: When, when we really get things to go right, when we spend more time making things go right. And so we teach principles about how you do that, how... How you can work and how you can build in these relationships to make things go right, and in fact we we do that with the with some very high conflict situations we did it with the Navy seals in training with the Navy seals we did a project with the Kansas City Police Department with their SWAT team where they were having about one lawsuit a month because of breaking and enterings and and it was costing the city a lot of money yes and and time downtime and so they we did a project where we did almost three years of training, and we trained SWAT teams and for the last I think sixteen months now they 've had no lawsuits. they still break down buildings they still do it, but their way of being and how they see and treat the people when they do do this has reduced the conflict dramatically yes. by applying the principles and so on.
1: I, yeah, I love this peacemaking pyramid. It was funny that you said that because I just had that page open on two hundred five I was looking at. Where, where at the top of the pyramid, you you correct, you see things that are wrong. You only focus on what's wrong. And then once you teach and communicate, the, you go further down to the pyramid, the, the larger part of the pyramid, and you're helping things to go right. And you're getting out of the box and, and obtaining a heart at peace. I love that.
0: A yeah, that's, at- that's the foundational part. If, if you don't have that, then then the other things don't work.
1: So, yes. Yes. So, um, what do you tell a little bit about this story? Cause I think that's a, it's great that how this, this little story that you use throughout this book, the anatomy of peace, why don't you just kind of talk a, a little bit about that, how it, how it, uh, how it explains the, the, the piece that, that gets created.
0: Well, in writing the anatomy of peace and, 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 uh, but also in leadership and self-deception, uh, the authors decided that, that they would do it in a storyline. Um, many of the things in the story are actually true, but, but because they're protecting the identity, uh, right. They have and, and so they've added and it's been modified a little bit. It's not a it's not a true story, but it goes through and tells the story of a of a um, mother and father that are in conflict um, because of a son who yes. is who is um, addicted to drugs and has to be in a drug treatment program. and But but the drug treatment program, when they take the son, doesn't start out just treating the son. It, it starts treating the family. Yes. And the mother and father, as they go through this, and then all the other people, the similar people that have other children in this, um, are exposed to the Arbinger language and the Arbinger training. And as part of that process and, and the different stories they tell of these individuals and the things that happen, they realize that their own actions are contributing greatly to the circumstance that they're involved in. And that if they really want their son to heal or a family member to heal, they need to heal, too, and change.
1: And when one person changes in in a family situation, the other people have to change. It's just by virtue of the environment that they have to change, right? That's right. So what is... Um, what, what can people do if they're interested in getting involved with the Arbinger Institute or learning more about it? Why don't you just let us know a little bit about that?
0: Well, there's a website. You can go to um, www.arbingerinstitute. Um, you can website um, there uh, if you want more direct information. Um, my assistant, Kim, at Arbinger.com. You can email her, and she will send information back and get information back to you.
1: And then you've got the books, The Anatomy the Book, of Anatomy Peace. Anatomy of Peace,
0: Leadership and Self-Deception. They're available electronically. They're available in bookstores.
1: Yes, and I love the strategy of peace at the end. It's, it's really wonderful. And, and people can get the books. They can see more about it on our website at conflicthealing.com, and it's your website as well. And um, they can also, can they get some training there as well?
0: Yes, we provide seminars, training. In fact, we're going to do, for people that are in in, uh, mediation profession, treatment profession, we're doing programs, starting programs with co-parenting and divorce, um, education in the school setting for conflict in schools. Uh, We're actually at the community level, the family level, and the corporate level, we offer programs
1: and I love this uh, testimonial. It says, the anatomy of peace is truly transforming and powerful material. Arbinger has taken the burden out of leading in our organization by teaching us to truly care about our colleagues and individually take responsibility for creating a powerful organization, which ultimately transforms the level of care that we can provide to our clients. So we start building this and it is, it just expands and expands from family to friends to to employees, fellow employees, to organizations, to government. It's just really a wonderful way of making peace. So we thank you so much, John, for joining us.
0: Mari, thank you. I've, I've appreciated the time has gone by quickly. I've enjoyed talking with you today.
1: And we'll keep in touch. So thank you and keep up the wonderful work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to KUCI. 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. And visit our website at conflicthealing.com where you can download podcasts, where you can see our upcoming guests, you can listen to archived interviews, you can find out more about mediation and conflict healing and all sorts of good stuff, resources that we have for you. So we hope that you'll join us next week and let us know what you're concerned about with conflict in your own life. Thank you. Bye. It's about trust. Yeah, yeah. It's about faith.
0: It's about trust. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.